number one AI altcoin. Today, we have a very special guest, Tyree Robinson. He is the head of ecosystems for one of the top projects in the industry, Orion Chain. Welcome to the Bean Pod. This is your place for all things stocks and crypto. From beginner tips to expert picks, use this as fuel for your investing journey. Because when you're in the know, your money will grow. This episode of the Beam Pod is sponsored by BitGet. BitGet is the most user-friendly and secure crypto trading platform for both beginners and experienced traders. BitGet is the best place to not only trade Bitcoin and Ethereum, but also all the small cap gems that we discuss every day. With 24-7 customer support, leverage trading, and a wide array of other advanced features, BitGet sets itself apart from every other centralized exchange. Through Beanstalk's official partnership with BitGet, you'll receive 15% off all trading fees when you sign up using the referral link in the description. All views expressed by speakers on the BeanPod are solely their opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed on the BeanPod as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a specific strategy, but only as an expression of their opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Welcome to the Bean Pod. This is Shane, aka the Jolly Green Investor. And this is Josh, the Nifty Investor. Today, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite top AI altcoins. Tyree, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys. Lovely. L- listen, alarm bells seem to be ringing everywhere. We have warnings from Elon Musk. We have the godfather of AI, Jeff Dean, warning that the world needs to regulate artificial intellig- intelligence immediately. Do you believe that this is all fear-mongering or are we in immediate danger? You know, it's an interesting question. Um, Obviously, AI is not new, right? Uh, We've had uh, military usage of AI since at least the 80s. I've got friends that were, you know, pilots, uh, F-18 pilots in the 80s and using uh, AI to be able to communicate with other planes in the air and, you know, make defensive maneuvers. So, uh, you know, AI is just not new. We see a lot of decision making, you know, over the past decades, anybody that's ever applied for a credit card or applied for a loan, uh, you've already interacted with some sort of automated decision making. Uh, The recent fear around artificial intelligence has really been uh, based on this proliferation of LLMs uh, and the concern of, you know, now that retail audiences have this at their fingertips, uh, there's a lot more people concerned that you know, uh, about the bias and explainability of these systems. Uh, so do I think that they're fear mongering, you know, a little bit, I think that they, they could have been doing more all along the way to be able to set up the rails to, uh, to make sure that all of these algorithmic decision-making systems were operating with fairness. But ultimately I do think that it is a good time to, uh, really get something down on paper and to look at this industry as a whole. Um, ultimately, it's not just about AI. We also need to reinvestigate how we're dealing with uh, data privacy, uh, intellectual property ownership, uh, and it's going to take a, a whole uh, second look at at this entire, you know, internet economy, data economy, uh, in order to really truly regulate AI in a good way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost interesting. There's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between the the boom of the internet you know, decades ago and, and how that kind of took everything by storm in a very unregulated way. And then eventually, you know, uh, even we're, we're still seeing now, even, you know, living in Canada here, the regulations for internet are still changing all the time. And some people may agree with how the internet 
became regulated and is getting regulated. And I think there's going to be a lot of debate on how AI is regulated. It seems to, you know, things are starting to creep in, obviously, Web 2, Web 3, all around different areas. There's regulation starting to creep out in, in Europe, North America. But, you know, speaking to you, someone that's in the AI industry, you know, you know, you have uh, insider information, you know what's going on, you can, you, you have your hands on the actual, the, the technology. What would you say the ideal world, how, how is AI being regulated in an, in an ideal world, in a perfect scenario? Or is there a perfect scenario? You know, I don't know if there is, I don't know if there's an absolutely perfect scenario, right? It's because what we need to do is be able to really, again, overhaul our privacy laws, take a second look at copyright laws, um, all of these different elements, and then consider AI rather than trying to sort of paint all AI with one brush and sweep, uh, you know, pass sweeping reg uh, uh, regulation across the entire industry. What we really need to do is look at sort of a case by case basis and think about the nuance here. Um, how we regulate ed tech is not going to be the way that we regulate financial technology, and it's not going to be the way that we regulate sort of you know, your diet, your AI for your diet strategies, right? So, um, so yeah, uh, if I was to go right now and say, what does my ideal AI regulation looks like? It looks like a system where people opt in, number one, to sharing their data with uh, AI uh, developers. That's number one. So all of this crawling of the internet to be able to create the source data, that I, I like to call it um, uh, unfair use. Uh, right, but uh, this, this fair use policies that allow people to just scrape everything from the internet, all of that needs a second look, um, especially sort of in light of, of a lot of the lawsuits that we're seeing right now. We have um, SAG-AFTRA right now, and the Writers Guild in America are on strike worrying about all of these models that are currently being trained on years and decades of their work uh, to be able to create and then replace their jobs, right? So. Uh, we ultimately need to look at these things again as sort of human-centric systems. There's no doubt that AI regulation is important as we move towards AGI. I do think that we're a long way away from that yet, uh, where we're really going to see you know true AGI out there in the wild. But for what we have right now, uh, especially with sort of the threats to the job markets that exist, we do need to look at sort of how we are rewarding the people in my opinion, that uh, that are contributing the data that makes these systems great. Yeah, no, it's it's totally scary from a economic perspective when you start to look at how, you know, all these different jobs can be replaced. And then my mind starts to go down like Terminator and like yeah. all that type of stuff. I think that's kind of like, the, you know, when I when you talk about how people are scared about Yeah, that's AI, what I mean. It's because we ask about fear mongering, right? It's because, you know, the media, obviously, the they're fear. looking for clicks. They're yep. looking for this viral stuff. And they're feeding people something that may not be a reality or maybe decades off about the potential of what AI can, can do. But, you know, when you're only seeing what you're getting from the big media outlets... I can understand why people are scared. They, they see a couple of headlines. They see, oh, yeah, I've seen Terminator. Like, is that going to happen in a few years? Is AI going to replace every job and turn against humans and kill everyone? Like, you just, you don't know, right? So Yeah, because when I talk to some of my friends, that's sort of the response I get. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's nice to have somebody like Tyree come on the show and actually highlight what actual regulation will look like and how we can, you know, we'll be, we'll be all right. Yeah. There's another, there's another angle to this altogether, right? Um, again, it's not sort of about these... AI systems running away. 
Uh, it's also about how individual people use these systems to become more efficient and how that can disrupt the job market, right? Um, I've read plenty of stories where people are now overemployed, where they're able to uh, use AI models to automate large parts of their job and work three or four or five, um, you know, full-time positions uh, with much more efficiency. Now, it sounds crazy, but the problem here is that those are, that's like, that equates to five people that could be working a full-time job that are qualified that don't have that position, right? And so, you know, it's going to be a very touchy situation, but, you know, things like that are really important. And then, of course, the other is that, you know, we we interact with, I had interact with, you know, plenty of AI models on a daily basis, right? And none of them are perfect. You know, if you go into chat GPT and, you know, you try to get it to be biased, it's not very difficult to get it to say some really outlandish things. And that output, it ends up being where we're looking at right now, the opportunity to be able to sort of bring transparency um, and sort of audit this AI output so that people know the type of product that they're interacting with, uh, rather than just sort of trusting the brand name like the way we do with Coca-Cola or Pepsi, right? Um, OpenAI doesn't automatically fall into, you know, um, a category where we should automatically trust them after having a product in the mar market for six months. Yeah, there's so many nuances. I mean, it's tough to kind of put uh, regulation into a box. It seems like it's going to continuously evolve. Um, I believe our audience definitely knows a lot about OriChain. You know, we've been talking about them on Twitter. We've covered them a few times in our YouTube uh, episodes, in our Discord, etc. And I think there's a lot of people who are familiar with like Fetch AI, Singularity Net, maybe some consumer-facing uh, dApps like Viot, right? But maybe if you could explain to the listeners, to our audience, like we're five years old, what exactly is OriChain? And what puts you guys to become, set yourself apart from other AI projects to become the leaders in not only the AI space, but from a regulation perspective. So whenever somebody says to me, uh, explain it like a five-year-old, I'll get on my Telegram or Discord chat and say something that goes over their head. And then I have to like work it down and down and down until I get something that really sounds like a five-year-old would understand it. And I think I finally got it yesterday, right? Um, it's like a sandbox for your toys where you know that your toys are safe. Mm. Uh, that's what a ride chain is, right? It's a place for developers to come and play and build AI applications that are consumer facing applications uh, where you're actually understanding that the individual products and AI models that you're interacting with are transparent and to some degree are safe to interact with, right? And so um, that is sort of the ultra simplistic version of, of how I look at our network. We are a layer one for AI infused dApps. Uh, the core piece of our infrastructure is our AI Oracle from which we sort of extract um, these trustworthy proofs uh, for AI and actually prove that they are reliable and safe to interact with. Uh, and from that, we're actually building our, our uh, AI proof product, which is going to be the reporting mechanism that lives on top of that and provides uh, audit reports for, for AI models. So uh, in a nutshell, that's what we do. A lot of our technology is chain agnostic. We do think about being multi-chain, multi-platform in every way. So uh, for people that are building products with AI models hosted by OriChain, it's not only for Web3, it's also for any Web2 product. Currently, 
uh, with AI proof, we're working on all of the, we're auditing all of the big models, right? We're looking at BARD, we're looking at open AI, we're studying them, uh, we're creating reports for them and, and we're running them through our Oracle uh, to provide these trustworthy proofs and hopefully uh, ultimately empower the consumer to make a better buying decision before choosing blindly to use any AI product. Yeah, interesting. There's certainly a lot to unpack with ORI chain because whenever we cover it, we, we tend to take a different angle. Sometimes we focus on you know the regulation aspect. Sometimes we focus on, focus on the layer one. And then as Tyree was just saying, there's also the AI proof. Now, later later in this, in this uh, episode, I want to get into the ecosystem, the layer one, and also maybe we can talk a little bit more about AI proofs. But because we kind of started this discussion off with, with regulation, I just want to ask one more question about regulation, if it's all right. I've definitely started to see over the last maybe three months headlines in the USA, North America specifically start to come out about regulation. So I just wanted to ask you, Tyree, as someone, again, who has probably more knowledge than us or many of the listeners, where would you say the USA is at with AI regulation? And is this something that Chain is, is looking to work with or help them along with or what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've got a lot of friends in Washington where, you know, we've got our ear to the ground constantly. Uh, we're typically, I would say that we're pretty far away from getting, you know, um, AI regulation in any meaningful way in the U.S. But uh, we do have Chuck Schumer's bill uh, that he's working on right now. We have the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy working on an entire AI strategy right now. Um, and there's also talk that there will be a big push to pass AI regulation in the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act at the end of the year. And that'll be the sort of situation where underneath the guise of this military um, uh, national security bill, they're going to sneak in um, a bunch of different AI policies, right? So uh, in that case, we wouldn't get a full out AI bill. We would just get some lines in, in the NDAA that would tell the AI industry what they're able to do or not able to do. Um, now, regarding our position, um, I have been a part of the a recent request for protocol for the White House, um, the Office of Science and Technology Policy. I wrote a nice little paper on why they shouldn't ignore blockchain solutions for the AI industry, because uh, ultimately, you know, the internet has evolved and we, we're still sort of operating all of these AI companies are sort of operating as if this is 2005, right? Like it's okay to go and crawl the internet. Like we don't have a solution to be able to respect uh, individual user sovereignty, uh, all of these different things, right? And actually um, Web3 lends a lot of great fundamental technologies to be able to protect sovereignty of data, uh, bring transparency to AI model operations and auditability. Uh, that are really going to move the needle for a lot of people. Uh, and we're not only focusing on the national level, we're also focused on the state level. Um, we've been working with um, with a friend of mine down in Texas uh, with a company called Texans for the Arts. Uh, they recently made a proposal to work with us more, you know, officially on, on Commonwealth, which is our governance platform. Um, but they're really looking to, just for the creative industries, looking to create a really clear outline and framework for what they want policy to look like in the next Texas legislative session, right? And so uh, we're very hands-on with that organization and getting sort of deep into helping them craft an understanding. And, you know, it's politicians are busy, right? Like 
they're shaking hands, kissing babies, and then also trying to educate themselves on everything in every industry. And it's difficult, right? So people like Texans, Texans for the Arts are going to be extremely important for advocating um, policy positions that are going to affect their industry. And I'm super excited to be you know, a part of that conversation on the state level as well. Interesting. You know, I, I was just thinking about, um, you know, the combination of we're talking about the White House and AI and regulation. And in general, you know, human society tends to be, and the way they, the government is, is reactive. It tends not to be proactive because governments, they move slow and you know, there's a lot of red tape and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just thinking back to, was it two elections ago? There was the whole thing that happened with social media and the fake ads and, you know, the tainting of a lot, you know, through Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, that whole thing. And I'm just looking down the line here as to a potential catalyst that could really drive home the potential dangers of AI. And because, you know, we, we talk about AI, but we're, you know, we're in the tech industry. When you kind of talk to people that maybe work in other industries, they've heard of it. They may have heard of ChatGPT, but they're not super, you know, they're not really, really on the ground of what's happening. But when you look down the line, now talking about the White House again, to the next election, don't you feel like there could be some mass AI manipulation of, you know, not only the things you see online, but on TV and headlines and fa- all these, you know, it's fake news, but with AI generated fake people, you don't even know if it's, if it's correct. Now, do you think that that could maybe potentially be a catalyst as to really bring home what AI, the, the good and the bad of what AI could potentially do? And then maybe the government will take notice at that point when, when they, Mm. screw with whoever these people these bad actors using ai that could potentially be you know one of the things that really brings ai to the mainstream so to speak what do you you think it's unfortunate that it has to be something that is directly related to politics uh in order for it to really make a difference and move the needle but i do think that that you know will that is one of the driving factors behind this entire situation um you know our former president uh, obviously was involved in a lot of sort of election denying situations. People are definitely thinking about how that can be weaponized by foreign actors uh, and people within the country to be able to write uh, new narratives and influence elections. Uh, it is absolutely um, a concern, uh, but there also is another part of the puzzle here, right, is is how the government and how candidates are directly communicating with their constituents. And that really should be what they're focusing on and less on uh, bad actors coming from the outside and manipulating through social media, right? Uh, Ultimately, these politicians could do a better job at, you know, at talking to the people and speaking for the people more often rather than sort of, you know, getting on their soapbox in DC and, you know, doing their thing. So, that's, you know, and a long and short of it, I look, deep fakes are nothing new, right? Uh, my favorite deep fake moment is, well, my least favorite deep fake moments are, you know, um, resurrecting Carrie Fisher in Star Wars and bringing <laughs> back Luke Skywalker in, in The Mandalorian, right? right. Like, come on, guys, like, deep fakes are nothing new. We've got fake Drake records dropping, oh, yeah. um, you know, all of these different things. So, you know, we we, we just have to be aware of it. And you know, I guess the other, the flip side of the deep fake situation, of course, is that, you know, as much as it can be weaponized, it is also the ability to use AI to sort of clone oneself and be more productive um, is maybe not a downside, right? Uh, if people are able to create content, you know, that they stand behind and don't have the time to be doing, you know, dropping 10 records a year or whatever it is, maybe Drake is out there and, you know, he's got an AI app where you can go and say, hey, I broke up with my girlfriend, 
write me a song about Janelle. And then, you know, Jake's got, Drake's got an individual unique song just for you. And, oh. you know, the whole world could change, right? So where there's pros, there's cons. Um, I look at it as opportunity across the board. So whether there's regulation that comes out or not, I mean, I know there's some that came out in the UK, but AI is coming. And something you mentioned previously was this AI proof sounds like a product that both web two companies and web three companies can use. Is this going to be a revenue generator for RideChain? Um, you mentioned Bard and OpenAI. Are you working behind the scenes with them? Did they approach you? Maybe you could elaborate a little bit more on the significance of this AI proof that you mentioned previously. Yeah, absolutely. So the entire, so let's, let's take apart the AI pipeline for a quick second, right? We've got people that are dealing with decentralized compute in the space. We've got somebody like um, like BitTensor, who's dealing with uh, crowd training in a decentralized way, really great stuff. Akash, Render, dealing with decentralized compute. Um, and then we're sort of on the other end of the spectrum where we're, uh, as an Oracle service, dealing with AI-generated data and delivering that safely to its final destination, right? And so our focus is looking at that last mile delivery of that data and ensuring that the AI models can be trusted, and thus the the data that's coming out and being generated by those AI models is reliable, right? And so uh, that's where our system is sort of built, and then the reporting of that reliability based on speed, security, uh, data privacy, reliability, um, explainability, bias, all of these different sort of dimensions, that's where we're creating and generating these reports for these different AI models. Uh, we're not working directly with OpenAI right now. I think that once we start releasing our audits, a lot we're going to probably have a lot of people being like, "Whoa, we can do this a lot more efficiently than we were doing it before." Um, meaning that actually benchmarking these AI models and then uh, creating adversarial tests against those models to try to get them to sort of step out of line, uh, and then you know then go back and retrain and you know correct them based on that output. I think that all of that is going to create a lot of interest, right? So of the process for OpenAI right now for actually testing these models is to actually manually go and get staff members or have educational institutions go out there and do research, right? And so there's a real problem with it where you're dealing with limited throughput for the team and in some cases, a lack of diversity uh, inside of those trainers and test cases. And so you're not able to necessarily train every single area of a model like ChatGPT, which is a really general purpose LLM, which has a lot of different areas that need to be explored. Um, and so what AI proof does that's really special is that it utilizes collective intelligence, right? Crowdsourced uh, test cases and is allowed to draw people in uh, from all over the world to participate in uh, both general testing and domain-specific testing for AI models uh, and create these test cases, which are then randomized uh, and involved in, and then, you know, tested against the benchmarks where you can sort of see the standard deviations against the expected response, right? So uh, that was all a mouthful. But the point for me is that even in the way that we're talking about uh, testing AI models, uh, humans are still involved, right? And there's a big place for people to be involved, which sort of brings me to the revenue, right? Uh, so 
if a company wants to come in and access uh, decentralized test cases, obviously that labor uh, that will be sort of sourced to be a part of that AI proof is going to be paid for, and that will be done with a Rye token on mainnet, right? And so uh, this is sort of where that revenue comes in. Obviously, we have some fees that will be paid for aggregating these tests and running these reports, um, but we really look at it as an opportunity for the world to participate in the AI economy uh, through AI proof. Yeah, like this is why I try to uh, articulate this to the audience too, is Chain isn't just an altcoin. It's a, it's a tech company. The fact that you guys can work with both Web2 and Web3 companies, I see the snowball effect occurring when you provide you, AI proof is fully functional and you're auditing um, different companies' AI projects or companies or whatever. And once, you know, two, three, four, five companies start doing it and then there's the end consumers, et cetera, which, which company am I going to choose? The one that's going to be audited or the one that hasn't been? Mm. So I'm going to end up, consumers are going to start, well, this is safe. I'm going to start using this. So all the other companies are going to have to follow suit. They're going to have to start showing, look, we've audited by a verifiable company. Yeah, and I guess the other the other piece of this too is that um, in Web3 right now, our expectation is that smart contracts are audited, right? And that everybody's taking cybersecurity seriously. Um, and we don't see that same attention to detail and transparency around Web3 products that are integrating AI currently, or at least talking about it, right? Um, I do think some, again, some projects like BitTensor are really fantastic because they're bringing, you know, a very crowdsourced approach um, where it's very democratized, and I appreciate that. But there are definitely a lot of people that are, you know, offering AI products and AI functionality where they're literally just using, you know, ChatGPT, OpenAI's model APIs and saying, hey, we run an, a smart contract auditing company now where you can pay for an AI smart contract audit. Well, you know, can we trust that? Is it the same as going out and hiring somebody like Halborn to do a deep dive and pen test a contract to find every vulnerability, right? It's not, right? So um, the need for transparency in Web3 has never gone away. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll always say don't trust, verify. And from our perspective, we are reintroducing that for AI projects in this space and ultimately enabling uh, the adoption of AI throughout Web3 with the same amount of trust that we've been able to have uh, currently with, with sort of just standard nuts and bolts uh, smart contracts. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, AI proofs, if you're part of the Ori, you know, family, if you're just learning about it now, I feel like AI proofs is definitely something to be excited about. Um, you know, we've kind of gone through the regulation, the AI proof, which is, you know, our eye change kind of step into that area. But maybe let's shift gears a little bit. And we alluded to the fact that maybe some people don't realize that our eye chain is one of the first AI native layer one blockchains. So it's got a whole lot of other stuff going on. You know, there's hackathons, developers, ecosystem projects, all that kind of stuff. So why don't you, Tyree, give us a little bit of an insight, a look into the Ori ecosystem, the layer one, the AI, and maybe some of the projects that, that you think are pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I could probably go, I could probably go all day on this, right? Like, <laughs> this is my baby. Uh, but I guess to try to keep it sort of brief, you know, the brief history of Ori chain, right? We started out, with the goal of solving how do you bring AI into Web3 in a safe way. Uh, one of the first use cases that we came out with was uh, called AI Write. 
and AI Write was bringing AI functionality into NFT minting smart contracts and checking for uh, asset authenticity uh, in the content, right? So making sure that you can actually respect IP ownership when you have uh, a marketplace minting contract like OpenSea or Rarible or something like that. Now, obviously, sort of from the artistic angle, that is big and you know exciting in a lot of ways to me. But the implications of that model moving deeper into real-world asset tokenization is really huge. When we talk, start talking about uses of identity, like minting your identity on chain, uh, authenticity is really huge. Biometric security, um, authenticity is really huge, right? And so, this is one of the best ways that that I think that you know, uh, in the early days, we sort of established the value of bringing AI into smart contracts. And, you know, this is 2021. AI was not hyped, right? Everybody was telling us at the time, you know, blockchain doesn't need AI. And we've seen them change their tune quite dramatically in the past eight months, right? So where we are now, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, the other great thing that that AI right product did was also uh, we, we have a patent on uh, the ability to create, a, you can't call it a copyright, but the ability to essentially create the foundation for a copyright uh, for AI-generated content. Uh, so for anybody that has tuned into any of the Senate Judiciary meetings in the past couple months or followed anything coming out of the district courts, uh, they continue, in the U.S., they continue to sort of sing the same song where they say, um, you know, AI-generated content, uh, has not been created in a human mind. There's not significant contribution uh, and authorship from humans. And so it can't be awarded copyright. In a lot of ways, we fundamentally disagree with that because um, the participation is not just the computer. Uh, human data uh, has been sort of been a part of that author authorship where, you know, a million humans have contributed data to train that AI model. Uh, the AI model developer has contributed to that authorship, building and training this algorithm. And then beyond that, uh, there is a human input, right? That prompt, that prompt engineer who's looking for a job right now, their work should be valued as well, right? So the beauty of blockchain is that it can memorialize all of this sort of cap table uh, for your AI generated output on chain. Uh, and that's what our patent on AI right is really all about, right? Is being able to crystallize the ownership of AI generated output and open the door for licensing uh, and commercialization of, of AI generated works. So um, long story short, AI right, super excited about that one. One of our earliest projects in the ecosystem, it's getting a big revamp soon and it's gonna be relaunched again in uh, sometime in September, probably around token 2049. Uh, sort of fast forwarding ahead, uh, in the DeFi world, we've got a bunch of really awesome things that I look forward to. Obviously, we've got our DEX. We've got an AI uh, lending platform. Um, one really fun thing about our DEX that we have coming up right now is uh, AI trading strategies, which is uh, going to allow individual people to participate as market makers on an order book platform. Uh, so if anybody's familiar with sort of GSR, or you know, any of these big market maker players, right? You know that they sort of run the volume on the markets, right? They are contributing a lot to that bottom line and they're very profitable businesses. Um, and we don't see any reason in the decentralized world where individual consumers shouldn't be able to access 
these highly sophisticated quant strategies and market making strategies uh, and be able to actually take advantage of these opportunities at the same time creating liquidity uh, inside of our DeFi products. So really excited about that. We, we talked about, um, well, we've, we've uh, shared on our social media recently that you've had, you started to have some some new projects launch on the native Ori chain. Was it Orchai was one of the ones that happened recently? And I, I guess the, the difference between that and maybe some of the other ones is that it actually launched on the Ori chain as opposed to being bridged over or something like that. So maybe can you speak a bit about that? Yeah, Orchai is really exciting to me, right? So that that's the AI-based lending platform where I mentioned. So um, it started out being a liquid staking platform uh, that was using AI to be able to win. So, you know, short story, guys, uh, liquid staking is when you're able to delegate to the network and, you know, ultimately you're getting a derivative, which is liquid and you can trade it. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. We, we've uh, talked about uh, liquid stake and derivatives a bunch on this show. It's something that we, we really like the idea of for sure. Um, so basically there's an AI model at the door where, where you liquid stake and it's delegating to um, validators in the network based on voting power, performance, and all of those things, and it's sort of randomized. So you're getting exposure to multiple validators. You're not liquid liquid staking just to one node, uh, and that was really exciting in the beginning. Um, you know, people are able to use their staked Ori tokens, staked Atom, staked Osmo as collateral to borrow USDT. Uh, and this is a project that came out of uh, one of our earlier hackathons and. Um, and joined our accelerator program. And in the past year and a half, they've really blossomed. And what they've done is really impressive. So where they're heading now is a DeFi orchestrator, which is going to be a cross-chain platform that uses uh, contract accounts or account abstraction to be able to actually um, streamline all of your cross-chain DeFi interactions into one click, right? So. If you imagine I'm a user, I come onto the platform, I want to buy Arai, I want to stake Arai, I want to uh, use my liquid staked Arai as collateral, I want to borrow against it, and then I want to go trade it and then deposit liquidity. You can go and create that recipe um, and use AI trading strategies in there. Maybe you even have some cross-chain interactions there uh, and, and you can execute it in one click uh, through a product called your smart wallet, uh, which is directly attached to your main wallet. So um, all of that's really dope. There is an airdrop for that pro product right now for uh, Cosmos holders, Injective holders, uh, Kava holders. I'm probably forgetting one off the, I think uh, Osmosis as well. I think the snapshot was already happening for Arai holders, right. but cool. uh, definitely check out Orchai. Hell yeah. That sounds like there's a lot of really cool things mm. happening in the ecosystem. Uh, you yourself, you sound super well connected, you know, with your people you're working with in Washington, all that. And you, you know, it's not what, you know, sometimes as, as much as, as it is who, you know, uh, I believe there were some partnerships, uh, maybe like uh, Syscoin, I think there were some integrations, maybe Ocean. I think there's like an first RVFs on Avalanche and Phantom. I know there's some work with uh, Tron in terms of the $100 million AI development fund that's there. Maybe you could allude to a little bit of the success of some of these partnerships and how they're helping the ecosystem grow and maybe highlight one or two that you believe are the most significant. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think you mentioned a bunch right now. Uh, earlier in the call, you mentioned Viat. Viat was also one of our earliest partners uh, as well. Like right when they launched, they used to be a validator on our network. Um, 
uh, Aster protocol. We also provided some price price feeds over there. Uh, so you know, but you know, really the partnerships that I'm most excited about right now. Uh, number one is Tron. Um, a lot of people sleep on Tron. Uh, a lot of people, you know, have personal feelings about Tron based on sort of the things that have happened, global events, uh, and you know, regulation actions and all that. But uh, knowing the Tron team and getting involved with them. This is one of the hardest working teams, one of the you know most humble teams that you'll ever meet. Um, look, this is a top ten project. Um, they're accessible uh, and they're they they're really passionate about supporting developers. You know, uh, twice this year they've done hackathons for five hundred thousand dollar prize pools, which are is just giving developers an opportunity to earn and build and experiment with their stack. Um, our relationship. You know, we we were a host on their previous hackathon. We're currently partners on their upcoming hackathon. Uh, they're also going to participate in our upcoming hackathon. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Uh, we would love to make sure. I think there's been some confusion recently about sort of the hundred million dollar AI fund. Uh, we are definitely here to help um, seed as many projects for investment to Tron as possible. But just to clear the air. Like we have not taken any money from Tron, right? That's not like a hundred million dollar investment into a ride chain. Uh, but we're always happy to go out there and you know and make introductions and make sure that good AI projects, especially ones that are building cross ecosystem between a ride chain and Tron, are able to access that capital that's available for people developing right now. Um, and again, we're really close partners and really excited about that. Uh, one of the other new partners that I'm really, really excited about is Andromeda. Uh, Andromeda Protocol is a sort of, uh, they're a brand new product um, coming out of the Cosmos ecosystem. And they're a multi-chain operating system that's allowing you to uh, build uh, smart contract dApps um, with low code, right? So think bubble or something like that, where you're dragging and dropping different elements to build your uh, D app, but now you can actually do that, you know, through Andromeda. Soon you're going to be able to launch your app on Arai Chain and Terra and Say Network and Secret Network all at the same time, right? And so um, I've said a lot, sort of, on our calls recently that Andromeda is going to take our developer activity, you know, 10x at least in the next year because what that does is it allows um, developers within the community. Uh, to have a tool that's super accessible and familiar to them, and it's going to allow them to go to market with their products really quickly. So that is really exciting to me. And then, you know, again, just sort of in talking about the developer experience, we, um, you know, in the past, we've been really focused on sort of building a lot of products ourselves in-house, sort of as proof of concept to get the network up and running. Uh, but we recently have really changed the dynamic, right? So we recently did a restructure of our tokenomics that reallocated um, the, the team's allocation and the advisor's allocation uh, to the Dow Treasury. Uh, and we're really looking to fund uh, or promote the community or encourage the community to fund projects that they believe in and steer the direction of the network uh, in the future. And a big part of that is Dora Hacks. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Dora Hacks, they are a hackathon hosting uh, platform. Uh, we're close partners, uh, and and they're starting a grant DAO on a ride chain and hosting 
our upcoming hackathon. Uh, now, this is a community with 60,000 monthly active developers, right? So uh, being able to go out there and work with these guys and have direct access to their developer community is extremely exciting for us. Uh, and also making sure that sort of, you know, um, that long runway funding is available through the DAO is all part of sort of our success strategy moving forward into the next year and two years and five years, right? Making sure that there are resources for our developers, no matter where they're coming from. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that tokenomics uh, thing that we, we pushed out to our community, everyone's pretty happy to hear that. Um, you know, when Josh and I do kind of deep dives on projects, we always look, we kind of have a, a, a list of tick boxes that we go through. So for Arai, you know, even just in this interview, we've talked about the real world use case, which would be uh, AI proof. We've talked about the ecosystem. We've talked about, you know, the team, the background, all that kind of stuff. So the next question would be, and we've alluded to this earlier, but maybe if you could give us a little bit more of an insight, is what is the utility of the actual ORI token? Like, how is it built into the ecosystem? What are the different things that can be done with the ORI token specifically? First and foremost, it is used to secure the network, right? Um, delegating to the network, uh, being a part of that voting power, uh, ensuring that all of our validators um, have a reasonable amount of voting power uh, and that it's distributed and decentralized. That's sort of number one. Obviously, for that, uh, everybody participates in both sharing transaction fees, uh, revenue sharing, real yield, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, and also block rewards uh, throughout the duration of our inflation period. Uh, currently, our inflation is set to end early 2027, at which point we will be pivoting to only transaction fees, right? Um, so at some point that inflation will stop and only transaction fees will sort of be used to pay out uh, that validator yield. Uh, and I think that that's really important to understand. Um, so that's one core use case for the Arai token. The other core use case is obviously paying for AI uh, services, um, paying for data sets, uh, and making sure that that execution, those fees, as I mentioned earlier with AI proof, uh, paying for uh, those test cases uh, for your AI proof reports, uh, all of those things are really important. Uh, now, as we jump over, we also have DeFi, right? So within the Arai Chain ecosystem, uh, we've got our DEX, we've got liquidity pools that have a very healthy amount of tokens locked up in those liquidity pools right now. Um, so that is also a utility of the token um, that's very prevalent in the ecosystem. And then sort of to talk about, you know, the, what makes a ride chain special, right? So uh, in, the, in the, the broad Web3 ecosystem, we always see a lot of DeFi. Uh, and one of the special things about a ride chain is that there are a lot of apps that just, they focus on real world use cases, right? Uh, we've got a dating app right now that's building. We've got a real world asset tokenization uh, real estate app that's that's building right now. Uh, we've got a data sharing app for um, for financial data and quant trading, right? Uh, all of these things are, you know, really going to increase uh, the demand for block space on Arai, which of course will, you know, translate to more demand for the token, right? Uh, if you think about it, you know, uh, a, a Web3 product that has 50,000 monthly active users, um, you know, is pretty good. Everybody's really stoked on that, right? Uh, but if your dating app had 50,000 monthly active users, you might be a little bummed, right? Because there's like, you know, 8 billion people on earth looking for love. Right. Uh, so when you have, 
you know, a seemingly benign use case like a dating app that now has mainstream appeal, you know, something like Cupid could easily reach a million users uh, and they're still going to need a ride for transaction fees. Uh, and that's still going to bring demand for block space. Right. Uh, so all of these things really do play into uh, into the ultimate utility of Arai long term. I like it. There's a lot going on between the AI proofs, the different dApps that are being built behind the scenes. It's really nice to get some insight into what's happening mm-hmm. in in the ecosystem, what's going on behind the scenes. You mentioned AI Oracle earlier. I'm sure there's some Chainlink listeners watching right now, and they're like, "Well, why don't you just use Chainlink?" <laughs> Maybe you could give us some insight into what the difference is between Chainlink as an Oracle and what you guys provide. Yeah, absolutely. So Chainlink is, you know, I like to think of all these things as sort of checkpointing, right? So you've got these guardians who are checkpointing off-chain data and they're bringing it on chain. So, you know, Chainlink is dealing with sort of price feeds, gambling data, prediction data, you know, lots of different things like that. Um, Those are all sort of being reported from these static sources. Uh, when you're dealing with bringing AI-generated data on chain, a different infrastructure is needed, and it's far more complicated than sort of aggregating and weighting um, responses from a bunch of different static um, data sources, right? And so, you know, the idea is still very novel in the space. There, you'll notice that there's no, there's almost nobody that's, you know, competing to do an AI oracle because they don't quite understand you know, the value of it yet. Uh, When we start to talk about bringing biometric security into a smart contract, that's an AI Oracle that's feeding AI generated through API. Now you need to make sure that that Oracle is, you know, or that that AI model is not off the rails, right? You need to make sure that that AI model is actually behaving the way that it's promised. So um, this is really where our system is is unique, right? Is that we're aggregating decentralized test cases, um, sort of surveillance of these black box AI models, uh, and then validating that on chain, creating an on chain trustworthy proof before delivering that data to the end user smart contract or Web two application. Um, obviously, pri- price feeds are are a thing that can be done, but is it the most fun you know i don't think so you know price feeds are awesome we've definitely got price feeds you know but that's not the thing that excites me when we start to talk about biometric security predictions markets um things like these things really really open the door to to new opportunities so um yeah that's the ai oracle in a nutshell uh it's not like any of your grandma's oracles uh it is definitely something fresh uh, and I think that that's all going to be really clear to people in the coming months as we have uh, some of these really, you know, advanced projects roll out like Orchai, right? If you start bringing AI data in for trading strategies and cross-chain transactions, uh, you're going to want to make sure that that's, that's working exactly the way you want, right? You don't just want it to be sort of chain link keepers taking care of you. You know, you want control. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's, what, that's, that's the moral of the story there, yeah. 
Okay, okay, interesting. Well, I mean, look, there's certainly a lot to unpack here, and we've kind of gone through every part of Arai that we wanted to cover today, but maybe, you know, speak to the Arai community, speak to new people that maybe don't know what Arai is, and just give us, you know, give us, hype us up a little bit here. Tell us what we can expect from Arai, from Arai Chain, for the remainder of 2023, some some milestones, some goals in your roadmap that that you really want people to, to learn about. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, obviously, AI proof, um, that is going to drop very soon. We're going to un- unveil that, uh, the initial reports sometime in September, very likely at Token 2049, no promises there, uh, but that's going to be very big. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with the world and inviting many AI projects to sort of onboard with us uh, in the early phases and sort of get that uh, well populated. Uh, And also that's going to be an opportunity for a lot of people to participate uh, in the community as well in this testing, earn revenue, right? So uh, that's really exciting for me. Uh, AI right, as I mentioned earlier, getting a fresh relaunch. Um, so for anybody that's sort of familiar with um, with using Midjourney or Stability AI or any of these things, right? You go out there and you pay a subscription, thirty to fifty dollars a month for any one of these individual uh, applications. You may not love it, but you're stuck with it for the month, right? Um, AI right uh, is getting a whole revamp right now. That's actually going to aggregate all of the top AI models to one platform, pay as you go with your trustworthy proofs. And on top of that, uh, on-chain licensing and watermarking for AI generated content. Uh, And so that's gonna be super hype and it's gonna be a game changer in the market. I think that rather than people going out and picking and choosing AI models randomly, uh, this will now be a place where anybody that's interested in AI generated content, whether that's image, video, music, 3D models, Uh, graphic design and interior design, uh, all of those models are now going to live on the same platform where you can use them as you please, right? And that's going to be really exciting for me uh, as well. Uh, On the DeFi front, there's, you know, again, you guys are going to open up a can of worms with me because I I can just talk all day. (laughs) But look, the the last big thing for me that I will mention here is that, you know, on, on our DeFi front for our decks, we're really going to be pushing into what we like to call a CDFI direction in the next few months, which means uh, futures uh, will be available on a ride chain. We are uh, opening our direct to Bitcoin bridge, uh, which is going to allow Bitcoin liquidity to come into a ride chain as well. Uh, have you know those trading options available for futures and on our order book, um, and and that's going to be really big. And like I mentioned earlier, the the market making. Uh, don't underestimate that, right? We we all sit here and have to deal with trading against the market makers all the time. Mm. Uh, imagine being the market maker, right? right? And really being able to participate in that. So that that's really exciting for me as well. I'm hype. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, it, it's so so lovely to have you on the show, Tyree. You know, you've you've explained AI, the regulations, how important these trustworthy proofs are, a thousand times better than. I think my, at least myself, yeah, I don't know, Shane's sure. a very well-spoken yeah, no, individual, yeah. but <laughs> um, that was good. appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Um, look, audience, guys, if there's anything more that you want to learn about AI, if there's anything that you love about chain and things that you're looking forward to, let us know in the comments. Yeah, for sure. That was that was an awesome episode. We're, we're definitely, I'd say we might even have to have you on again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks yeah, a lot, Tyree. Yeah, I appreciate your talk, guys. Like, this has been been an awesome talk, and you know, everybody follow a ride chain. Uh, and if you're watching this video right now and you're not following these guys, 
then you're making a big mistake because I'm a big fan. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. We'd love to hear it. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, make sure you tune to the next episode. That one is going to be a banger. views expressed by speakers on the bean pod are solely their opinions you should not treat any opinion expressed on the bean pod as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a specific strategy but only as an expression of their opinion this podcast is for informational purposes only